All right, welcome back to Badge of the Bone Podcast. I'm Denny. I'm Al. And here we are with another episode, Al. Yep, we are back. All right, let's do it. Buckle up. Al, we are back. We are. How you doing? I'm well. You? Good. It's been a been a busy day, but it's nice to be back here at Badge to the Bone headquarters doing it is. this tonight. It so. is. I've had a, a busy week, um, and I'd like to give a shout out to my 18 year old son. Well, of course, I got. Yeah. You know, we've got five. We got three boys, but my 18 year old in the middle there. We just went to Cape May, New Jersey, this past week to watch him graduate from the U.S. Coast Guard boot camp. That is... Yeah, I mean, you... Uh, how, how, how was it? I, how was it? Well, it was, it was a great... How many Kleenexes great, did you go through? You know, I did pretty good. It was um, no Kleenexes, but I was holding them back. You know, it would be tough. It was... Um, it was it was pretty pretty surreal to watch him graduate. It was interesting to be there again. You know, that's where I graduated boot camp yeah. from you know, twenty seven years ago. I know I was there. So, <laughs> it means we're getting old. <laughs> so yeah, so I graduated from boot camp and I have not gone back since. And then he decided to enlist, and we go up there. We went a couple of days early so we could enjoy some of Cape May, since I really didn't get to enjoy the town the first go around. I can't imagine why. No, but um, it was great. We actually got to do a they did a a dinner for parents and family and stuff. We got to meet one of the commanders from the base. I got to meet his company commanders, which for Coast Guard it's it's not a drill instructor; it's a company commander. So he had four, and. I got to speak with them briefly, they answered some questions, and I took the opportunity to get a good picture with his company commander so I could send him, which was pretty funny. But um, it was a great event. I'm very proud of him. He is excited. He's home for a few days, and this weekend we'll be trucking down to South Carolina where he'll be stationed at Station Georgetown, South Carolina, which looks to be a great spot. Well, that... You've got to be overjoyed. I mean, second second generation. Second generation. Not only is he going into the military field, but that public safety arena. Yeah, absolutely. Sticking his foot in the water on that. Yeah, no doubt. So yeah. it, um, that's where it starts sometimes. I I think it's great. He's such a great kid, and I I was I was thrilled to hear that he was going to go do this. So congratulations, dad, you did good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Congratulations to, to him. It's a, a great endeavor and I think he'll enjoy, enjoy his duty, but um, that's what I did. Yeah. You so, were busy. Yeah, it was busy. And it'll be busy this weekend. Try to move him, <laughs> trying to get him down there and moved in. So, but, um, but otherwise we have a guest tonight. We do. And I, I think we're going to have an interesting conversation. So Denny, who is our guest tonight? So tonight we have Glenn Topping, and he is down in Florida. And Glenn has had a pretty experienced career, or careers, I guess. Done several things. He's got some time doing some bodyguard work in the, in the music industry I did. So I, I definitely am I, I definitely want to hear some of that. Yeah, you, you can't <laughs> come on Batch of the Bone and say you did that and not talk about it at least a little bit. Um and then he served as an MP in the military overseas in Germany and 
Then he served 25 years on Broward County Sheriff's Office and finished his career where he retired from there, which most folks should know Broward County Sheriff's Office. I mean, they were on cops. You had wildest police chases, I think. Wasn't the sheriff <laughs> on that show? Was it John? Was John Burnell? Yeah, he was. Was he Broward? We're, we're going to have to find that out. I, we, we will. We, we will. But with, uh, without further ado... Glenn, welcome to Badge to the Bone podcast. Thank you, guys. I appreciate being on. So do we get that correct? Was John Bunnell, was he sheriff down there in Broward County? No, John Bunnell was out west. Uh, the uh, sheriff was uh, Nick Navarro. We, we, we messed that up. Oh, we got that way off then. And Nick Navarro was the sheriff. Okay. All right. Oh, well, <laughs> we messed that one up. But he was on Wildest Police Chases. Yeah. Well, going back. Yeah. Now. now no, no offense to you. This, this was high school and college for us. <laughs> was, was one of the things that that I know attracted me to the profession was sitting there on Saturday night watching cops. You know, eight to nine on Saturday yep. night was cops. Now, cops was in Broward. That's correct. And they were in Florida a lot. And apparently, you had a brush with that. Yeah, I was on cops in the first season, about six episodes. Oh man! See, we need to go back and watch that. Now. I, no, I, in doing my show research, <laughs> you, I did pull it up. Did you find it? <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, I got to ask. I mean, how was that experience? It was. Uh, it, it was interesting. It was fun in the beginning, uh, but then it got a little old. You know, having to drag these guys around all the time. Uh, but you in, know, in the imagine. long run, it was it was fun watching yourself later on. On a couple of weeks later on the show, that is pretty cool. What is it, like two or three of them piling the car with you? Just two. The cameraman was in the front. The sound guy was in the back. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just went out on the calls, got into the chases with us and fights, whatever happened. And they just filmed it. (laughs) I I don't know that I'd want to do that today. (laughs) Yeah, right? Much different today. But, yeah, that was a huge show for law enforcement. Oh, I, I, I ate it up. Yeah. Yeah, they started with Broward County. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. Well, was, Florida and all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> busy area down there. Uh, busy area down there. So, so Glenn, but before all of that, you did bodyguard work in the music industry. Yes. All right. So there's there's got to be a good story somewhere in there. Well, there's a few. Uh, well, I was, work, I was working in this in this famous rock and roll club called the Agora Ballroom down here. Or down in South Florida. And that's where all the rock stars or the rock and roll people started. And then their careers skyrocketed from there, where MTV even started their filming there back in the early 80s. Oh, nice. When it was just strictly music. Now it's all sorts of stuff. And um, that's where I got to know Johnny Depp because Johnny Depp was a guitar oh. player with the house band. Oh, nice. So 21 Jump Street. <laughs> is, is he somebody you still keep up with? I, I, I did it for a, for a while, but I did in the beginning. Uh, I've seen him a couple of times. I was on a radio talk show with him once. He called in. I was able to call in and talk to him. Uh, then he was doing, right before I retired in 2009, they were doing this a reunion of all these 80s bands. Mm-hmm. And I was in charge of crowd control. I had about 10 other deputies with me. And we got word that Depp was coming in with his, with his group and his bodyguard and his family. And he was going to play with his old band a couple of sets and go back to L.A. So I told my guys, listen, I know Johnny. I'll introduce it to him. Like, oh, you're full of shit. Get out of here. <laughs> but, 
So he comes off the bus and he's walking around and I, I hey, Johnny, come here. And he's kind of looking in my direction. And he's like, why is that cop calling my name? Right? So him and his bodyguard walk close to me, looks at me and he goes, Glenn? I go, yeah, how you been, John? I haven't seen you in a while. I said, my guys like to meet you. So he shook their hands and said, hey, thanks for being here. And then, all right, Johnny, I'll talk to you backstage. We'll talk about old times. And my guys go, oh, you really do know. That's pretty cool. I'm like, I holy moly, you're, gen- <laughs> you're legendary now. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. He went backstage and talked about old times in the club. And then he got on his bus and he left. <laughs> uh, that's pretty wow. cool. So, so who else did you end up working with? Well, I worked with a lot of the bands when they came into town. Uh, Van Halen. Um, really? <laughs> I was with David Lee Roth for two nights with him. He was a maniac. Um, <laughs> there's so many of them. Uh, uh, who is it? Uh, Neil Diamond, Pat Benatar. Oh, all Bill. right. Oh, uh, yeah. So many, of them, so many over the years. Jeez. Oh, Pat Benatar. Talk about a set of pipes. Oh, my God. <laughs> One of my favorite 80s rank queen. Yeah, she's she's pretty badass. Billy no, Joel. Oh, oh, Billy Joel. Oh, nice. Geez. Man, you had some great ones. Billy Joel was cool because we were back. We were, I brought my wife to that show. We're in the dressing room with him and the group. And my wife goes, man, it's really cold in here. And it really was. So he takes off his leather jacket. She goes, here, wear this. So he, she puts the coat on. We get him to the stage. We, after the show's done, we're walking out. And he goes, I ah, just keep the jacket. <laughs> Gets on his bus oh, and goes back. Nice. <laughs> Souvenir and everything. Wow. <laughs> he, was, he was pretty nice. A couple of them are real jerks. But yeah, you have to do I can imagine, yeah. I mean, that goes with the territory. Yeah. I hope you didn't have to deal with Motley Crue ever. No, I didn't deal with Motley Crue. I no. heard they were pretty... Uh, <laughs> off the chain so <laughs> like, Ig- Iggy Pop was maniac <laughs> yeah I yeah that that kind of almost goes without saying I think he got into a fight with one of my bouncer friends that was he was on the stage and he was spitting and he spit oh. on my on my friend and my friend and him got into a big fight <laughs> I, I can imagine you're gonna get it now Iggy <laughs> 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 oh my gosh i mean that begs the question you have you're doing that and you're coming across you know big names yeah and and you leave that to go in the military yeah man Did, was that just a calling to go to the military or you just had a, well i was thinking about looting. it i was looking to go into civilian policing but i think let me try the military okay see if we can get into the mp corps my dad was in the in the he was a, he was a sergeant in world war ii in, in hawaii Oh, wow. uh, in the Army Air Corps. So I figured, oh, let me go in and do my thing. So I went in, you know, went through basic, went through MP school, and then got sent over to Germany, and I did my time there as a sergeant. And then I got out. Okay, well, man, that's so, and you know, second-generation military. Yeah. And you leave there and you go to Broward. Little Broward County. Yep. So I got to ask. <laughs> in 84... What, yeah. Was it really hard to get a job? Uh, no, it was very easy. Really? Yeah. I would say first I started off as a reserve officer. Okay. With a small city of city of Dania. And uh, about three and a half years later, they were merged into the sheriff's office and everybody became deputy sheriffs. And then about a year later, I got I took the sergeant's test and about a year later, I got promoted. Interesting. And and did you do most of your career in patrol, or did you? 
bounce out? I was in patrol mainly, but I was assigned to different uh, different units over the years. I was an organized crime detective working narcotic interdiction at the airport. Um, I was a tactics instructor, uh, patrol and, and field force supervisor. Um, I did some bodyguard work in the with the sheriff's office also. Okay. And uh, a hostage negotiator on SWAT for 13 years. Oh, okay. Wow. So we talk here a lot about um, the culture of law enforcement, things that are going on vis-a-vis leadership, uh, mental health. Um, and, and, you know, I started my career in the late 90s. Uh, so did Denny. Um, how different was the whole landscape of policing in 84 when you signed on? Well, you know, minus the, the body cams that, that they have now, minus the cell phones that they didn't have back then, uh, yeah. it was a lot different. Uh, the, uh, the cops had respect from the people they worked with on the street and their administrators. They backed you up no matter what. Now, if you did something wrong, you got, you know, you got whatever happens, happens. But if you did something and you got a complaint and you didn't do anything wrong, then the agency backed you up. Unfortunately, that's a, now it's a 180. Mm-hmm. So you saw a stark difference because you came in in 84 and you left in, in 09, correct? Yes. So you got to see all that change. So you're, you're saying that there was a stark difference between the way administration viewed officers or supported the officers in your early career as opposed to what it was when you left. Yeah, because it, you know the, each each sheriff has their own way of doing things, and they felt sure. like some of the some of these commanders were more pro complaint complainant than mm-hmm. deputy. Yep. You know, you had to really go through a lot of hoops to prove you didn't do anything wrong, but they would take the other person's word for it, just mm-hmm. with with bad word, no other evidence or anything like that. Yep. And it gets the you know the mindset of the deputies changed. Like, what? Am, why am I out here doing anything if you guys aren't going to back me up? Mm, yep, man, and that's damaging. And I think oh it's yeah, probably worse today. Oh, you you got out just a, a few years before the the bottom fell out, right? Oh yeah. yeah. So I told my wife if I was still working, if I'd be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many retirees I have spoken to that say exactly the exact same thing. I would be locked up. That's right. <laughs> uh, it's it's crazy the way it's changed like that. Oh yeah, it's insane, especially now with these guys that are doing this, uh, going around filming everything. These First Amendment audit people, they got nothing oh, better to do yes. except to videotape and, and bait the cops into doing something wrong. Yeah, we had a dose of that up here too. We had a, a guy that was going around trying to. Mm, there's a group record. actually. There is, and I, I forget the group that was up here. They called them uh, Cop Watch. Cop and they would just go out with their cell phones and deploy yeah. on a Friday. And nothing better to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had a gentleman up here that, that tried that mess and was trying to bait officers, and he ended up making the mistake of standing on the property that was the defense supply, <laughs> defense logistics supply area. He didn't realize that just because he was outside the gate, it was still their property. And when he didn't want to leave, he's like, oh, you're going to jail now. And we hooked him up. <laughs> And it became a whole big mess, and um, 
he he ended up getting convicted of. He tried to fight it, hired an attorney, and he's like, "There's nothing I can do for you. Like you're on camera. They told you three times you have to leave. It's it's their property. It's federal property." And after that, we didn't hear a word from him. They're unbelievable. Away. Yeah, I mean, just a more. You look for that big lawsuit. Yep, and that's exactly what he was trying to bait the officers into saying sure. something, doing something. You, you, he was trying to be provoking, and they did a good job. They didn't buy into it and just told him when he didn't listen. Okay, well now you're ours. Good, <laughs> but but yeah, it's just a shame that it's come to that. You know, yeah, it's horrible. And and you, so you felt like, at least for the the greater part of your career, you had the support of the community. You had the support of your leadership. Oh yeah, they were. You know, like I said, if you did something wrong, then you had to face the music. But other than that, they were back. They backed you to the hilt. You know, any arrest that you made or any seizure that you made, um, everything was fine. There was no problems. And the, and these citizens that we dealt with loved the cops. You know, they, they didn't want any trouble on their streets or in their neighborhoods. They were the first ones to call in for a problem. And we handled it, and they were happy. Yeah, now they don't want you around. Mm. They, now they don't want you anymore. They don't want until you they, anymore. They need and then you. when something goes wrong, they're like, oh, well, why weren't you here? Well, yeah, what happened in... in, in you know, cops itself got yeah canceled. Yeah. The show after yeah. what thirty plus years. Thirty five years. Now there's no yeah. streaming. What was was canceled. Yeah. That's well just... you know what it is? They're still under they're still under the Ferguson effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's the problem. I see it even the guys I deal with I still talk to down south. They stop into the office where I'm working. And they go, How's what's going on? Oh, we hate it. We can't wait to get out of here. It's, it's horrible. Uh, I said, well, okay. Well, just, you know, just be safe. <laughs> so, Yeah, that's, I mean, it used to be that folks would stay, you know, 25, 30, 35 years where nobody was in a rush to, to punch out. And now it's, no. everybody's counting the days. The right. minute they get the day there, I'm out. Yeah, and so we're going early. So we're just taking the early time and saying, I, I've had enough. I'll do something else. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, guilty. I, well, I right. Yeah. I retired and as soon as I was eligible. Absolutely, and and good for you. And, and so you should. Um, it makes it hard to encourage the next generation, right, of law enforcement. You know, we want good people, and they need good people. It's just real hard to. Well, that that's one of the reasons I asked why. Like, if it if it was easy, or or difficult to to get a job with the sheriff's office in down there in 84 because I know mid nineties, late nineties in, in this area, they'd say, Oh yeah, we're hiring for 10 positions for city PD and a thousand people would show up yeah, to it take was a very competitive, the entrance exam. And right. it was, it was hard as hell. And I, I was trying to get a job uh, in this area and ended up getting a job in the Western part of the state to start out because that's where there was an availability and where I got a job offer. Yeah, um, It was, sure. it was so difficult to get a law enforcement job here. So many people wanted. Now we get 150 applicants for 20 positions and we're like, woohoo. Yeah. Well now it's, it's like, are you breathing? Yes. You're hired. Well, you know, I used to sit on the oral board. Like, so the new hire. <laughs> Say again, Glenn. 
I used to sit on the oral boards for new hires. Oh, really? Mm. How yeah. long ago would you do that? Well, I did that probably that was in the probably in the nineties. Okay. So it was probably. myself, another sergeant, and maybe a captain or a lieutenant. And they would, you know, individuals would come in and do the interview. And we would turn away a lot of them because they had certain background issues or they don't know how to go through an interview process. But the people that did really well were the military guys that came in. Right. Because yeah. they knew the protocols and all the, you know, the yes sir, no sir, and, you know. So it's a little bit different. Sure, yeah. Now, as long as you can show up to the interview, it's like, hey, all right. <laughs> hey, let's give him a check because he had pants on today. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I don't even encourage anybody going to law enforcement anymore. I tell them, go to the fire service. Yeah. We hear that all the time too. Go to the fire department, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to be negative, but I'm going to be negative. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I there's a uh, one of our our senior guys from the agency I retired from, and he had actually retired from another agency uh, before he came to us. He'd been in that long, and uh, was also an adjunct professor. And his words to me one day were, anybody that should be, anybody that wants this job should not be able to pass the psych. <laughs> if you want to be a cop, you should, you, that's like grounds for failing the psych. Well, I've been through a few of those. <laughs> yeah, I remember being on the street and my partner in a car, we'd see the fire truck go by and we'd look at each other and be like, man, I should have been friggin' firemen. <laughs> Sleepovers, <laughs> movie night, fix good chill, dinners, chili cook offs. You're not getting whatever <laughs> thing you could get at the 7 Eleven because everything's closed now by the time you didn't, you had a break. Yeah. So, yeah. right. Oh, man. No microwave pizza at the Exxon. <laughs> 7 Eleven <laughs> dog. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you, you did 25 years down yes. there and so kind of going this route, how did you know, or when did you know that you're like, okay, now's my time. I'm, I'm going to hang it up. Well, yeah, I've had, I've had my share of injuries and it was, I have, you know, I got into several fights. I got metal all over my body from broken bones. Um, but then the, they did a buy. They were offering a buyout to uh, for sergeants, lieutenants, and captains. If you want to leave, you have to be at least fifty-five years old and have twenty-five years of service, and you can you know pay out on all your time you had on the books. So I looked, I thought about it, and I go, well, yeah, I can do that. It's time to do it. So that's what made me do it. So I walked out with it. They gave me a check for about ninety-eight thousand dollars, and wow. I went, paid off my house and my cars, and I have no bills. Oh man, can't be that. <laughs> so, so it it was just it was an offer that was too good to refuse. Right. Nice. Yeah. Now, once you finally retired and you left, after that, yeah. did you did you struggle with it any? Did you struggle with not being a cop anymore? And a lot of you know, there's a whole big identity with being a cop for so long. And not only that you did 25 years and then you did military as well. So you're, you know, you're facing what 30 years at least right. of, of in, being in law enforcement, being a cop. Did you find that that was difficult leaving that? Well, it was, it was weird when I was, it was, in, I was turning in all my gear and it was like, <sighs> yes. well, I'm really, I'm really 
ending this? It's like it's 25 years is over already. Couldn't believe it. I turned all my junk in. And then I had to turn my car in, which I really miss because we had to take home cars yeah. <laughs> and go home. And it's like, wow, where would all the years go? Now what am I going to do? You know, I'm used to, you know, so regimented, get up, do this, do this, come home. You know? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But after a while, it was like, okay, I, could, I get used to it. No big deal. You know, because I didn't stay inactive very long. I only, I only stayed really a technically retired for a couple of months. Um, I, I ran out of honey-do lists that my wife gave me. <laughs> you so ran out? I'm impressed. Out. <laughs> That's so pretty good. Get something else. So I wound up working with this federal security company doing deportation flights with ICE out of Miami Airport every day. So oh, wow. I wound up doing that for about two years, flying to the, the illegals back to their countries. Huh. Interesting. That is. Yeah. So it was a federal law enforcement flights every day to a different country with a plane load of illegals. Oh, wow. Handcuffed and belly chained. So you did that for a couple years. Yeah. Decided you were going to move on. So I moved on because I was tired of going down to Miami Airport every day. I lived about about 45 minutes to an hour away. Mm-hmm. So getting there early in the morning, like 3.30 in the morning every day, and then coming home uh. in rush hour, I got tired of the ride. So I got a job with this uh, security company as the operations manager. It used to be owned by the old sheriff of the county. So I did that for about six months until a new owner came in and he dissolved my position. I got laid off. So right after that, I saw this ad in the paper that this guy was hiring driving instructors, uh, but he only wants retired cops because he was a retired cop from Philly. So I went and interviewed with him and he goes, okay, you're hired. And that was like in 2012. And here I am today doing the same thing. Oh, so you're still doing that now? Yes, I'm I'm the senior instructor, plus I do all the testing. Oh, nice. Nice. Okay. But you all... I'm I'm a published author. Well, that's that's what I were, where go. I was going. I mean, you also um, you also are are working working on being a writer, and and you're already published, and you're still working on stuff, right? Yeah, I'm working on the the tenth one being published. Yeah. So, what took you down that that route? Oh, that's a long story. Well, when I was working at that rock and roll club in the early '80s, uh, we had a we thrown we were thrown out some people and. They made a threat to come back and do a shooting. Well, at closing, they came back and they did a drive-by shooting, killing one of the bouncers that was standing outside. I almost got killed. My windows were shut off. My car was sitting in it. Jeez. And uh, then they take off down the road. About a two miles down the street, they get into an accident. The police do the accident report and release them, not knowing they just involved in the shooting. Oh, my gosh. So they, they get rid of the car. They get rid of the rifle. They both flee out of the, out of the state. Oh, um, shit. Meanwhile, I run over to my friend that was shot. I get on the ground with him, and I, he, he took a bullet in the back, saving one of the waitresses. He pushed her out of the way, and he got shot. Jeez. So I'm sticking my finger in the bullet hole, trying to stop the bleeding. It uh. didn't do much of anything. Medics come, the police come. They take him to the hospital where he died from his wound. Uh. So a little while later, I'm thinking, well, this whole story would make a good, interesting movie. So it took me years and years and years later, I decided and I put this movie script together and it was called The Hurt. It's the, the name of the club is actually the Agora Ballroom, but I couldn't use the real name. So I got, so I wrote out this script and I got with a script writer in California and we put this script together called The Hurt. 
and it, it entails the, the it covers the shooting, the aftermath of the shooting, all the craziness that was going on in the rock and roll club back then with the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Johnny Depp is in it, and then I I the just by happenstance the cameraman that was on the cop show with us at that time is now the executive producer for the TV show The Amazing Race. Oh, so nice. I got with him on Facebook. And I don't know if you remember me or not, but I told him the story. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember you. We had the great meat chase when he was with the cops. We were chasing this car that just did a big shoplifting. And as we were chasing it, they were throwing the meats at my car. My car was hit with steaks and chickens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. That's a great story. <laughs> So he remembered that story. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember the great meat chase. I go, how do you remember that? You've done a million shows all over the world. How do you remember that? He goes, I never forgot it. <laughs> how um, did you forget that? The meat chase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. So I said, listen, you you know, I have this script. Are you interested in maybe doing the producer, being the producer on it? He goes, listen, Glenn, I'd love to do it, but I'm, I'm so involved with my 30th anniversary of my show. But why don't you have somebody make it into a book and then book to movie? All right, so I got with this lady that does that, and I transformed the script from book to, from book, from script to book. So now I have the novel out called The Hurt, and it's been out a couple of years now. So that was the basis of that incident with the shooting, and that's how I started writing. I got into the writing habit. So that one was easy to do because I lived it. Right, the ones after that were very difficult to sit down and do. Yeah. <laughs> did you do a, Did you do a writing a, a book on the meat chase? No, but that was in, that's part of the. Uh, I think in one of my books, it's in that. The Great Meat Chase. <laughs> so that that's really a departure from how you spent the previous 30 years of your life. Yeah, sure. Um, and and what, what attracted you to doing that? Did you just feel like you needed a creative outlet or? Well, it was something, it was really just something to do to keep busy. And after the first book, uh, they had this idea for this other book. And I, you know, every time I, I would sit down and make some notes, and then maybe two days later I write down some more notes, and a week later I come back and do another paragraph, and I go, "Well, this story is coming along really well. Maybe it can add some more to it." And it just kept on building and building and building on the storyline, and then he had to, you know, move things around. It, it was a pain in the ass, really, until I got it where I wanted it to be, and I sent it out to the publisher, and they look at it and they do what they do, and then after that one was done, I go, "This it just seems." I have the kind of the knack now on how to do it. So I had other ideas for other other types of books, and I just started doing one after the other. It's something that has fascinated me, and it's something that, to be very honest, I, I mean, I'm a little I'm a little jealous uh, because it's it's something I've always wanted to do personally, yeah. but frankly, I've, I've been kind of intimidated by the whole process. <laughs> Your English is not real well either. I I, I, I speak good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's grammar check on the computers <laughs> spell check i'm a prolific user of spell check <laughs> no yeah. that really is an accomplishment because it is no easy task to put together a book, to put it all together put your thoughts down and yeah that's it's definitely a a task yeah and you've got several books yeah 10 10 10 and and almost and, and if i let's see i i saw number of them i didn't know that it was 10 
And yeah, they're on Amazon are, and Barnes and Noble and right. Google. Most of them are are you're 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 staying within the the fiction realm mostly. Yeah, mostly fiction. Some are nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, of of your ten, what would you say is the one that I don't want to say is your favorite, but maybe the one that is means the most to you? Well, I think my first one is like my baby, the hurt, because I lived it. Yeah. Uh, that's my favorite one. Uh, my next one, my recent, my left, my most recent one that came out was called um, "The Call Out," which covered all my callouts as a hostage negotiator on SWAT. Okay, Talk about all the, all the stories. Yeah, yeah, I'll, we'll have to pick that up and check that out. Um, I'll have to try to pick up the hurt as well. I'm interested to hear about that story with the nightclub. Oh yeah, and and this one, the call out, you got my attention with that. That's that sounds very interesting. Yeah, I, I got a hold of my... Uh, I was the lead negotiator on the team. The chief negotiator uh, saw that I advertised it on Facebook, and he got a hold of me, and he goes, hey, can you get me a copy of that book? So I sent him a copy, and he read it, and goes, that's, that's really pretty good. I remember all about these scenes. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Now, we spoke a little bit before we uh, clicked the old record button, and you mentioned you've got another one in the works. Yes. And what's that about? It's, it's called Fractured Minds. It deals with uh, suicide in policing and the military. Oh, wow. And I see that's definitely right in our, uh, right up our alley, Al. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I'm curious, what, what prompts you to explore that in writing? Well, my friend, a friend of mine, Sergeant John Kelly, uh, he, was, he worked with me in the sheriff's office. Uh, he's a, um, uh, what do you call him? But like a counselor, he does these uh, programs for the police departments on self-awareness and how to take care of yourself after you get out of the policing uh, and to avoid getting into that pitfall of wanting to hurt yourself. Yep. So I told him, I said, you know, a long time ago, I was trying to put something together on the same topic. And I was on the computer. I had 92 pages done. And the next day when I go back to do it, to finish it out, it was gone. I couldn't find it anywhere oh. in the system. It disappeared. It, it was gone forever. Oh, oh my, my gosh. And I had all sorts of good stats in there and, and graphs. And it took me a long time to put it together. I had oh. Microsoft trying to find it. The, I, I, I don't know what the hell happened to it. So oh, I go, I'm not doing that again. I'm not redoing this book. Right? I would have destroyed the computer. Uh, I was so pissed off. Oh, my gosh. I can't yeah. even imagine. Almost at the end of it. Right? But then I talked to John, and I saw John was doing these seminars. And I go, listen, I'm thinking about doing this book on police suicide because I had to deal with them with the eight when I worked with the sheriff's office and in the military dealing with suicides. So he goes, yeah, sounds good. So do it. So I just, all it is is a, it's a combination of a bunch of research from other people put into a book. Okay. So it's like 50 people that did this, like they're all, they're all counselors and health professionals and and people in that genre that I picked it, I picked and chose and chose certain parts of their research and they just put it all together. So is it more of an informative informative type book on what's going on with suicides in law enforcement and military? Yeah, it's an informative thing. It tells you it, you see how other other people in that field uh, how they deal with it. Uh, how they can, the pitfalls of it, how to avoid it, what to look for, 
Yeah. Um, and, and what to be aware of. Now, I think that's, that's really good. That's just such a valuable piece of work in these times, just because of the amount of suicides facing first responders, law enforcement, military, it's, it's just a bad state right now. It's steadily up. It is. And it's, you know, as the, the statistics show, there's more deaths by suicide than there are a line of duty deaths. Yes. And that's, that's a horrible statistic. And so I think any kind of book, anything to bring attention to that, to get people to read and learn about it is, is a good thing, is a positive. So kudos to you for putting that together. That, that's so we really- just had, within the last few months, we had two deputies commit suicide. Down there. Yeah. Brown. Really? Yeah. Jeez. Oh, See, it's, I mean, it's just two from the same agency that close together. Yeah. Yeah. That's one guy did, on, did overdose on fentanyl. Oh, wow. And another guy was, uh, he was up on charges, criminal charges. He'd want to face the charges. So he killed himself on the beach. Man. Mm. See, that's, t- it's tough on the agency. It's tough for all the folks that worked around oh, yeah. them because everybody's going to go, man, what, what did I not do to help? Or what could I have done? It's just, it's very tough. Well, the problem is a lot of the that they don't want to help. They're it's, they're right. afraid to reach out because they're afraid what might the agency do to them. Yep, yep. And, and every bit of awareness that can be pulled for that is is helpful. Did you notice a a change in that at all when you worked at Broward, like like in in eighty four, say versus two thousand nine? Did did you feel like if if you needed help, you could go? to your agency and feel like you'd be okay? Yeah, I think later on, yes. In the early part, probably not as much. Uh, it was, I think it was like too macho to, for guys to go to, uh, to a therapist. Even though the agency has people, they have a, you know an EAP office, uh, but they don't want to be seen walking in that door. Right. You know? yep. Until they were like, almost like command ordered to, do, to go down there and see somebody or see the chaplain. Either or, it was always there was always somebody to talk to. I was always available because I came out of the military. I had to deal with a couple of suicides back then, back in the seventies. And then in the sheriff's office, I had to talk one of my guys out of shooting himself. Also, so yeah. I was always able to talk to people fairly well, which helped me in the hostage issue down the road. You know, it sounds like you're definitely staying rather busy. How um, <laughs> how long do you think do you think till this book comes out? Well, hopefully in the next, uh, what is this? Uh, probably by the beginning of next month, hopefully. Okay, nice. So I know they're working on the book cover right now. Getting nice. that ready. And then it should be available on uh, the platforms. That's great. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. Yeah, I'm looking looking forward to that. As soon as that comes out, I'll I'll be one of the first ones to buy a copy. Well, when we, when we hang up, uh, uh, text, I'll ask for your addresses and I'll send you a copy. Oh, man, that would be awesome. We would love that. That would be amazing. We would love that. Of course, half price. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be a good capitalist. Absolutely. 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 That's great. Yeah. Well, man, I mean, I think that's really great how you have stayed busy. It's you know you've obviously I think we could probably spend all night talking about your 25 years because just in the short amount of time we spent here we've talked about a drive-by shooting, Johnny Depp, 
Johnny Depp and you're in a shooting that, that took the life of, of somebody that you knew and you know, a friend, you know, something like that. And then you have the great meat chase, the meat and, chase. You know, I mean, so you, you've obviously had a, a pretty extensive career. A plus I'm a private investigator also. Oh, wow. So you've had a very colorful <laughs> array of, of public safety and law enforcement jobs. Yeah. I mean, but you've been retired now retired yeah. i'm I'm doing the air quotes thing right You're retired now for nine years and and you haven't missed a beat you're you, you're just as as busy maybe even busier than you were when you were on the job and yeah but i was busy then too though <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you were but i think a lot of us in in this profession we retire and then we don't yeah. know what the hell to do Right. We're, 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 we're kind of lost. We're aimless. We, and, you know, and, and I've, I've seen some of the guys that retired from my agency and, you know, they retire and then two or three years go by and you see them again and you're like, Oh my God, the guy's aged. You well, know, again, they fall into a depression. Years. Yeah. And you go, well, what are you doing? Cause you know, I, I was a firearms instructor at, at yep. my agency. So I ran retiree firearms at okay. least once a year. So you'd see right. the guys at least once a year. And some of these guys have been retired, you know, two years. And some of these guys have been retired uh, 10 years. But it was, by and large, guys that I had all worked with. Right. And, and um, you know, some of them, you know, the ones that, that looked the best and sounded the best were the ones that were getting out there and staying the busiest. Yeah, right. I think you're a great example of that, Glenn. You start fading away if you don't do anything. Well, this is true, and I think you have a really good example of that and show how important it is to stay active, you know, after your career, mm. that you're still things to do. I also feel like I've, I, as I talk with folks that have retired and that have written books, I feel that those folks write those books because it still keeps them connected to the law enforcement community, to the first responder community. I don't know if you have that same feeling that yeah. still kind of gives you that connection still to uh, – a profession that you spent a good majority of your life in. Yes. So that's, that's great. I, I wish, uh, you know, <laughs> Al, I, I joke on you about your, your English, but I would love to be able to put together a book as well, but it's just, it's not easy. It's not, I keep saying, well, I, I'm going to write something eventually that's, that's pro, uh, like a professional nonfiction book, but I really want to write fiction. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you got the creativity and then just organizing your thoughts. That's always challenge. Yeah. And, and sitting yeah. down at a computer and not being like squirrel. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a, it's a headache. Yeah. But I can see it being rewarding too. So. Yeah, but you know what I, what I didn't want to do was every, every you see a lot of these retired guys you go running up about their police stories. There's so many books about when I retired, this is what I did pre previous. I didn't want to do that. I was I know what I did previous. I don't want to talk about it anymore, other than the 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 call, the call out. Right. But everything else are all just kind of wild, crazy stories. That's all. Yeah, and and but see, I I get what you're saying with that. That that makes sense you know you you want you you kind of you did your thing and now you want to go in a different direction that seems completely logical to me and my, i keep my books very short nobody wants to sit and read a 400 page book 
Now that so, I, would, I will second that. <laughs> so my books are, other than The Hurt, I think it's like 180 or 220 pages, something like that. Most of my books are under 100 pages. See, I, I'm a believer in that because I think it helps keep your attention. Mm-hmm. You have these yeah. excessively long books, you're like, oh my gosh. Right. You spend hours and days trying to get through it, and it's just... <laughs> It seems like every chapter you read, there's two more after it. You're like, holy crap. Am I ever going to finish this damn thing? It's like a short airplane ride or something like that. You take it on, you read it, and it's landing. Yeah, see, that's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, man, well, we're definitely going to have to check those out. I I will definitely be buying some books. I'll send you a copy. Well, man, I, I appreciate it, Glenn. That's awesome. I'll make sure we got, uh, we'll send something out for you as well. So make sure to give us your address as well. I will. Um, okay. But, uh, but Glenn, man, thanks so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I know it was, it was kind of um, spontaneous. Yeah, it was. And, and, <laughs> but, but I'm glad we had the chance to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, you, you really seem like you're, you're doing well and, and, and living great. And and you've had this great career and all, man. It, I it mean, it, it's a good example. It really is. We're gonna have to stay in touch, though. Okay. Because when, when that book comes out, I, I want to talk to you again about how it's going and what kind of feedback and stuff you're getting. Oh, we will That's be ringing. You I'll send you a copy. No problem. Awesome, Glenn. <laughs> thanks so much for taking some time to hang out with us this evening. No, thank you. I appreciate great, it. Great meeting you. And you too. I almost feel like we're going to have to get you back because I want to hear some more of these stories. And I, I just feel like <laughs> you have a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's some interesting ones, believe me. Actually, one of my cases in the, went to the Supreme Court. Ah, oh, see? <laughs> wait, wait, you're just dropping us. The, you're dropping that now? <laughs> uh. Okay, okay. Which one went to the Supreme Court? I, I'm not. You're not off the hook yet. Uh-oh. <laughs> which, which one went to the Supreme Court? It's a. Uh, it was a, a narcotic arrest on a on a uh, on a bus. On a bus. On a bus on a uh, one of those uh, Greyhound bus. Wait, a, tell me more. Wait a minute. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying. Okay, that, we but... were when I was working organized crime. We did the we did interdiction on the airport and at the bus terminals. So we confronted a guy on the bus. We saw him. We was, he was looked a little suspicious. So we walked up to him, identify ourselves, and said, "You know, where are you traveling? Do you have a ticket? Yes. Do you have any bags? No." And we saw him walk in with a bag. So right above his head, we went to the baggage thing and found his bag. And we asked, so this your bag? Oh, it's not my bag. Okay. So now it's abandoned property. We can look into it. And we looked in. He had two kilos of cocaine in there. Whoops. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what he said. So we arrested him. Now, if you've ever been on those on those tour, on those Drayhound buses, you know, it's a very skinny aisle. And then you have the two seats on each side. So there was two of us. Actually, there was three of us on the bus in the aisle with the guy. We handcuffed him, walked him off. Well, went to court, the local court, and they said that um, because we blocked his way and he wasn't under arrest first, he wasn't free to leave. Oh, so that they took that to the Supreme Court and the court overturned the arrest because they said that, well, he wasn't under arrest at the time and you were blocking his access to leave the bus. So it was an unlawful detention. So it was a violation of Fourth Amendment rights. So he got out. We we didn't give him back the coke, but 
that made the Supreme Court case. Oh, wow. <laughs> what did the Supreme Court say? They said that we should have had an open path for him to walk off the bus. Oh, jeez. <laughs> In a nutshell, you know. <laughs> There's no room on that damn thing. So every, other, after that, we started to leave an open path. Wow. Yeah. But isn't it more fun to have that guy have to explain how he lost two kilos? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Because it's Florida, and he probably, you know, think of the characters he'd have to explain it to. Listen, when I used to work organized crime at the airport, I used to work with, when we'd have had a major drug case, uh, we would turn it over to DEA, and then DEA would, would continue the, continue it to where it was going to. And a lot of times we would flew with DEA with the bad guy and the dope to the New York and Minneapolis or to Chicago and finish the drug deal. And I would dress up as a FedEx or a UPS guy and make the delivery. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That was fun. <laughs> I, I did some of that in my career and that's a blast it was a blast yeah <laughs> that's fun stuff right there <laughs> all right we that's weren't gonna let all you go. time. it made me even better <laughs> exactly. we, we weren't gonna let you go without telling us you couldn't just to say you had something to go to the supreme court and oh yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> again Thank you so much. Great to meet you. Thank you. We're going to keep in touch, okay? Yeah, when, I'll, when I hang up with you, I'll, I'll text you and you text me back. Absolutely. Or email. Email, yep. I'm sorry. Yeah. Absolutely. All, All right, right guys. Glenn, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It was fun. Absolutely. Man, now he has, I think, some stories. <laughs> I think we just scratched the surface. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> no, that was fun. That yeah. was good. No, it was... Uh, he was great to talk to. Great to meet. Good veteran law enforcement officer from a busy area. It was very nice of Glenn to come on. Yeah, no, that was great. It was it was good to uh, have a little conversation and have some some talk about his experiences. Uh, yeah, and once he gets that new book out, um, I think we will definitely be having him back on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we definitely want to get that. Read it and um, yeah, yeah. So good, good. Good talk. Absolutely. Good talk. Absolutely. <laughs> but um, I, I, I wanted to say something because yesterday uh, it had been three years since our mutual best friend uh, passed away. Yep. In, in 2020. Yep. October 15th. Um, and I just wanted to talk about him for just a second because this, this was somebody... Uh, Barrett, um, Deputy Barrett Walters, William Barrett Walters, retired uh, from Chesterfield Sheriff's Office, which is in our area, and um, somebody I had known since kindergarten. Yeah, and you had known since, since high school. Since high school. Yeah, um, and you know, just thinking about him. And, and, you know, how involved he was in our lives and how much, um, you know, he was an uncle to our kids and all yep. that. Yep. But specific to what we're doing right now, you know, we would not be here recording right this moment were it not for him. I agree. I agree. I, I just simply wouldn't, wouldn't happen. Um. I, I met you 
many, many years ago. Right, yeah. <laughs> because of him. Right. And... Well, so many of us were interconnected through Barrett. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, oh yeah. I, um, and it, it takes me back to, to a quote um, that uh, an, an, another dear mutual friend said at his wake, which was a Marcus Aurelius quote, which is, uh, everything is connected. Everything is interconnected and the web is sacred. Yep. And, um, and Barrett was the center of the web. He was. And, you know, so when we go back to what this podcast is, is about, you know, it, it, we would not be here were it not for him. Yeah. And, yeah well, absolutely. And, and, and after he passed, I, I think, well, it was what, well over a year ago. You're like, Al, we need to do a podcast. We need a podcast. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that sounds really interesting and also crazy. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I cannot help but think that somewhere out there, he, he, he had a little bit of heavenly magic. I think so. That, that, that sparked this and um, sustained this process. I, I think so. And I, I wish he were here to enjoy this process with us. He'd be making fun of us. You know he would be. <laughs> oh, he would absolutely be making fun of us. Um, and that would be his classic Barrett. But I, I do miss him and wish he were here. But again, if, 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 if it were not for him, we would not be here at all. No, you know, we got his picture here in the bar. Yeah. And, and, and we, we keep that up. And, and, and just about every time I walk in here to record, I look at that picture and, I, and, and that thought, you know, were it not for him, badge to the bone would not be a thing. It wouldn't. And, you know, for all the hurdles we went over getting this launched and for the hurdles of... <laughs> You know, the day you together. told me you were going to throw the computer out the window. <laughs> you know, I, I thought about, um, you know, I thought about Barrett would not let me, let me quit. No. Yeah. So for all those times I was ready to give up, I knew if he were here, he would not let me. <laughs> yeah. He would definitely, he would, he would have laughed at you he when you're like ready to throw <laughs> the entire soundboard out the window. He would have laughed. He would have laughed his ass off. And he'd have been like, you know, just, just give it a day. Just give it a day. Just turn it all off. Give it a day. And then think about it tomorrow. But he would have not let me give up on it or quit. He was, he just always, Brad had a positive outlook for everything. Uh, yeah. And, and all it, the hurdles he went through to stay as positive as he was. Uh, all, all of his myriad of health issues and the fact that he had to take medical retirement. Um, but he, you know, he was still a cheerleader for the job. He was. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when you were having a hard time, he, I mean, he was there to support you yep. and kick you in the ass yep. if you needed it. And, and I can say the same. And, you know, I know that when he passed, I, I think for me, that was kind of my tipping point. Um, yeah. yeah, that, that was tough. And so, you know, to, to, to come full circle three years later to be in badge to the bone headquarters. You know, I, I, I feel like while he is not physically here with us, he is really 
you know, he 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 is badge to the bone. He is. So I believe he's he is with us every time Just, we're in here recording. No doubt. No doubt. And and making fun of us. <laughs> I know he's making fun of us. So, <laughs> but so I just wanted to say something about that because you know it 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 really is something I think that's important to to both of us and and um that that something as as bad as his passing led to something that you know I think both of us are enjoying. Yeah, so. we are, and it is. He was a great friend to a lot, but definitely a great friend to us and. We had some good times together. Yeah. And, and you know, the, again, the, the reason we're here now. Absolutely. All right, Al, that's going to wrap us up. I think it does. Where can they find us? They can find us at BadgeToTheBone.com. They can also find us on Facebook at BadgeToTheBone. Also, shoot us an email at WeAreBadgeToTheBone at gmail.com. And while you're listening, make sure to like and follow us. But until then, be safe and be well.